the jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Yeah, right over there. Do you need me to, you know, trade you places? Do I need to take control of the controls? Riddle me this. Who had a worse start, the Aggie offense or Ajay Salveson here on the <laughs> Full Court Press? Uh, Hello, everybody. Welcome on a uh, gloomy Monday afternoon, which might spell the behavior of many Aggie fans this afternoon after a very rough, rough weekend for their Utah State Aggie football team who goes to Colorado Springs and returns with bruises and dents and a taste and cup of humility after a beatdown from the very talented Air Force Falcons, 31-7 final in Falcon Stadium. We'll get into all that, the more, the audio and everything in the 5 o'clock hour for you uh, and get your recap of the top 25 action. A huge, huge upset. What does that mean for the Utah Utes? Now, do they have a chance? We'll also get to some other Mountain West Conference action, including the San Jose State Spartans, who are becoming one of the more surprising and not talked about teams uh, who were buried underneath a rock and, and, and a, a pile of dirt that you could never have got out of, and the Spartans have done just that. We'll get into that more in the 5 o'clock hour. Eric Franson on that side. I'm Audrey Salveson here running the mic on the board, unfortunately for you and for Eric. Uh, Eric, happy Monday. Are you doing okay? That was a rough weekend for Utah State, RJ. Okay, but what about you? Are you okay? I'm okay. I mean, we'll get to see how sure. Gary Anderson... Jordan Love and Tipa, how, how how they're doing? But you, are I'm, you all right? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, uh, you of course uh, you run the post game, you know, with Al and Craig and, and Ryan Bohm. What was the feeling like after that loss? Uh, just utter disappointment. Was there any shock? Yeah, absolutely, there was shock. So the game played out. We're watching it. We're tracking it. We're keeping update on what's going on, and. We're just, like, dumbfounded uh, how this keeps playing out in front of our eyes. Um, and as, as at the conclusion of the game, there were three big question marks in my mind. And was this... So what they were is, what's going on with the offense? Is this an offensive coordinator's problem in not running an offense that's going to work. Uh, two, what's going on at the run defense? I thought this run defense was better than much better than what we saw Saturday night. And three, why in the world did Gary Anderson, as the head coach, never take a timeout? He had three available in the first half. He had three available in the second half. Never once... Did he take a timeout to try to reset his guys, to try to get all rallied and excited about, hey, let's get him off the field on this third and long? Those were rare. Third and longs were rare for Air Force to be in, but there were a couple of times when they were. Those would have been opportune times for him to gather the, the team together, rally his defense. Like, Come on, let's get these guys off the field. Let's give our offense a chance. He never once used a timeout. He walked the sidelines looking like, this wasn't my term, I've heard a few other people use this term, but I think it's appropriate, he was looking like a zombie. Uh, I'm sure, I don't, I don't know what was going on, 
But I am concerned by what's going on on the sidelines more than what I am seeing on the field. You'll find out why with Eric Franson and myself here in the 5 o'clock hour. We're getting to all your Aggie talk that you need. Give you a chance just a little bit longer to breathe, relax, cool down, all of us. And I, I mean all of us. Meanwhile, uh, in other places where even more hysterical things are going on for a team that was looking pretty good for a little bit until games four and five, more recently, game five. Here's a 2-1, and Alvarez lifts it pretty deep to center field. Robles is racing back, still going back, looking up. See you later! A two-run home run for Jordan Alvarez. Now delivers, and that ball's hit well. Left field, high and deep, that's got a chance, gone! Carlos Correa with a two-run shot. Now the 3-1, and Springer hits it in the air, deep to left field, and you can't kiss it goodbye. A two-run home run for George Springer, and a 7-1 lead for the Astros. 1-2, ground ball left side, Bregman to his left, he gobbles it up. Slings it over to first in time, and that is the ball game. The Houston Astros are one win away from a championship as they defeat the Washington Nationals 7-1 tonight, go up three games to two in this World Series as the Astros make it a clean sweep in D.C. Wow. (laughs) We've had five World Series games, and not one home team is taking care of business. This is incredible. Eric, Uh, when we walked out of here on Friday night, I thought for sure... The Nationals get at least one, at least one win at home. They get nilch. Nothing. Nada. Uh, where do you give the credit? It, where do you start with this? Man? I don't know where to start with this because earlier on, I mean, it pitching has had its moments, but it hasn't been. I mean, last night pitching was great. Garrett Cole rebounded. He had a nice night. Max Scherzer wasn't able to go, so they had to go to somebody else, and that somebody else, Ross, didn't turn out to be ready to go. Yeah, two of the games in Washington were bullpen games. Uh, I mean, it's this has been such a crazy series. Uh, I didn't realize the, the history was not on the sides of the on the side of the Nationals after they won those two games in Houston. Um, the the other times when that has happened, the road team when they swept the first two games. They've almost they they have always lost the series. Yeah, and I didn't realize that until the other day, and uh, we're we're seeing it play out in front of our eyes again that it could happen uh, yet again. All they needed was one, um, but they had the chance to wrap it up at home. They're not going to get that. The series is now shifting back to Houston, where they can wrap it up tomorrow. Yeah, all they the can mom- still be Houston in six, even though the way it started, I thought, oh my gosh, maybe the Nationals are going to get this one. When Houston played at home in those first two games, they were outscored, Eric, 17-7. to So how do they respond? Well, they go to D.C. and they outscore the Nationals 19-3. to In three baseball games, 19-3. to Incredible. What an absolute beatdown and a clinic put on by the Astros, who, again, didn't have to face Scherzer for Game 5. He had an irritated nerve in his, uh, his neck. He wasn't ready to go, so he was a, a scratch about three and a half hours before game time. Uh, in comes in uh, Joe Ross, uh, the emergency starter, and Joe Ross finds that Alvarez, Carlos Correa, and George Springer, and by the way, Correa and Alvarez were facing those you know two ugly slumps, get early two-run homers, puts this thing in the 4 nothing. When the Nationals have finally scored their first run, 
And Singh looked like all the momentum was on the Astros' side. Now, on the other pitcher of this, uh, and, and I no pun intended when I say pitcher, but the home play umpire was horrendous. Oh, he was horrible. Really, really, really bad for both sides. But I feel like the Nationals really got a hose on a couple of calls when they could have some momentum going. Right. I mean, there was this looked like it was a strikeout. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And he didn't like how the, the catcher, and I can't think of his name also on the top of my head, stands up to, to toss the ball back to the infield to toss it around. And he didn't like how he stood up. Which I don't like so, that. Oh, nope. That wasn't a strike. I don't like that. If it's a strike, He's not it's showing a strike. Him up. Yeah. The catcher knows when to You're frame it and hold for, it. Com- for robots here when you pull stunts like that. Uh, you know, the <laughs> the catcher... The other thing baseball... that makes the case for robots is when you're an umpire and you talk about getting out AR-15s and shooting up people. Yeah, that's also <laughs> I mean, a huge issue. Come on. so Major League Baseball, clean house here. Here's my problem with all of this is that not only do you... I, as a catcher, you're gonna when you get a pitch and you you know it's like on that borderline, you're gonna just stick it, hold it, right? You're gonna hold it and see what his call is gonna be. If you can frame it nicely, it's a strike three. Sometimes you don't get that call, but when it's right there and you know it's a strike, and the batter knew it was a strike too, you're gonna throw it. That's just, dude. You aren't gonna wait for the catcher to hear three. You're, you're gonna hear it. You're just gonna go. And and the fact that this guy had that big of a just a. Uh, a grudge against that was amazing to me. Now, on the other side, the Astros were also victimized by a really, well, it should have been a strike three call. It was on the corner, beautiful pitch by Cole, and uh, <laughs> and got him on got him on strike three, ends up being ball four. Now, nothing comes out of it, so it's no big deal. But what happens is when they don't get that call off for Nationals, it turns into two more runs, and this thing's over. Like, it was over. Yeah, sales were just gone. There was no air left in them. And for Davey Martinez, hey, look, rough calls and rough night from the umpires, but we're not going to blame them. I will not ever sit here and criticize an umpire. Um, I've known Lance for a very long time, and he's really good. Um, and and that's all I'm going to say about it. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and and uh, I know there was some choice words, but that's that's just in the heat of the moment. Um, but like I said, they're all doing their job, and they do it really well. That's why they're not part of the World Series. That is, that is, I'm not going to call it class, because it's just me avoiding a fine and a suspension. Because he knows if he goes after him, then things are gonna, just going to get worse, and it's not going to be, it doesn't do any good. So he's going to hold his tongue, but my gosh, he went after him after that. I loved it. This is the World Series! Come on, man. Yeah. It's now, granted, I like Biggest stage for baseball. You got to do it right. I told an umpire he should go get a job at McDonald's and I got thrown out. So, umpires can be really sensitive. Really, really sensitive. All right. Sometimes they forget their big boy pull ups and they go out with the diapers and it doesn't feel comfortable and they hate life. Now, well, look, the- in baseball, they are the thinnest skinned of any. Oh, athletes. yeah. Joe West uh, is any, horrible, man. Any sport. And I'm not just talking umpires, I'm talking. As a sport, and athletes in the sport, uh-huh. baseball players and the, that league overall, they have the thinnest skin. Yeah. I mean, they have so many unwritten rules that if you violate it, it's like, oh my gosh, I got to throw at your head, and we're going to come off the bench, and, you know, because you didn't turn the right way or you didn't look the right way when this certain thing happened, and I'm so offended. So that's just baseball. But for Mr. Manager Martinez, they're not out of it yet. In fact, he's pretty confident. 
Maybe. So confident he doesn't want to even say how confident. Where he is, is this? You know, I truly believe these guys will come get after it again Tuesday. And um, I told him, I said, I know we, we're going to go one or no. I said, but we're going to play game seven. I believe that. So keep keep pushing. Bulletin board material or no? No, no. He he. That's been their mantra: just play one game. Uh, be one and zero, and that's what's got them to this point. It's what got them to the World Series. I mean, what got them through the wild card game? It's what got them through beating the the Dodgers. It's what got them through sweeping the the Cardinals uh, and winning two on the road. That that's they've done a very nice job of doing that um, of just not getting ahead of themselves. Uh, granted, they didn't take care of home base at all, but but uh, that. That's not something that they really look ahead too much. I wouldn't say that's a, been a problem for the Nationals. So let's look ahead to Game 6. You're going to get the most delicious matchup of Strasburg versus Verlander. Steven is 4-0 with a 1.9 ERA this postseason. He won the wild card game in relief, then won a start against the Dodgers and the Cardinals, and now the Astros. In fact, he pitched for, outpitched Verlander in Game 2. He gave up those uh, two runs in six innings. And he led the NL with uh, 18 victories this regular season. On the other side, Verlander is the only pitcher to start out 0-5 in the World Series after losing Game 2. He's made six starts overall in the Fall Classic. He has a 5.73 ERA. He went 21-6 in the regular season, led the majors in wins. But his 1-3 with a 4.15 ERA in five postseason starts. Eric, is there any chance for the Nationals to get back into this? But with Verlander on the mound... I mean, is it over? Oh no, it's not over. It's not over. I mean, the, the do you Nationals, think the Nationals really have do have a chance though in Game Six? I mean, yes. honestly, uh, yes, I do. Uh, yeah, they've they got dominated in Washington, but they dominated in Houston. Uh, and Verlander, as good as he is in the regular season, he's had some suspicious moments in the postseason. So uh, I think if I'm the Nationals, man, I wouldn't be overly freaked out. You got Strasburg on going to the mound for you. Um, I think that'll be that should be a good game. They shouldn't feel like they're out of it. No, absolutely not. Yeah, they've struggled the last three games, but look how well they played in the first two in Minute Maid Park. So they'll be okay. Eric, let's move on to some other baseball news. We've already talked about managers that have finally got their positions. We have Joe Madden, your former Cubs guy, now going to the Angels. David Ross. A former great Cubs catcher now playing now as a manager for the Cubs as a Cubs guy. Thoughts? Uh, interesting. I uh, had some mixed thoughts about it initially when I heard his name being floated as a possibility. He was a good catcher. He's a great catcher. He's won multiple rings. He's had he had a great career. Um, very headsy. You know, smart. Understands what's going on. Um, but I just. W- Worried a little bit as you know, giving a franchise like that over to really a young, unproven baseball manager. If he had gone up through a system, if he'd been a bench coach or whatever, you know, something in another position at that kind of level, then or even at the in the minor leagues, um, elevate him to that spot if he looks like he's proving himself to be a quality manager. So I just worry a little about he's unproven as a manager coming in and taking over. Uh, it's interesting. I've seen several comments, um, players making statements that is anonymous or not saying who they are, but several players saying that when they heard his name as a candidate, they were they were concerned because they knew that he'd be tough on them. 
Uh, they know what it was like when he was on the team, and they know what he'll be like if he's their manager. But uh, I actually take that as a good sign that he understands what's going on and he's going to have a high level of expectation and uh, try to get him to compete and, and do well. Uh, just my concern is, you don't know. He has no baseline of being a manager, so how is he going to do? Sometimes It's rare, but sometimes you see people step in totally new to all this and do well. But usually... They, it takes them a while before they start to get a feel for how it really works. Those long stretches of, of, of managing a team and everything that goes around with the farm system, make, having to make trades, having to tell a player he's not going to cut it. That's a totally different role than being giving constructive criticism as a teammate. Now you have to hire and fire guys. You have to tell them, you're not going to play. I'm going to send you down to the minor leagues or I don't want you on our team anymore. Uh, that's very, very different, and some guys just aren't cut out to be able to do that. Here's David Ross on holding his players accountable. I think there's a little bit of um, a misconception of, of maybe the fun-loving Grandpa Rossi, which I love and I'm very thankful for, but um, I don't think that's me in the dugout as much as, as, much as I, I would love to uh, say that I'm that guy. I, I just, to the core, I'm a guy that has a lot of expectations when I come into work. And you're right. I have to use, you know during that spiel, I feel like you said a couple of interesting things. One, he he's been there, done that. He has two really World Series championships to prove it. But two, it's this mentality that he was built with. Is this younger generation going to be too sensitive to deal with that? That's the biggest problem for me. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And initially, that was kind of the appeal of Joe Madden is that he kind of knew how to handle pers- big personalities. Um, and he, he took a little bit different approach that just, just don't suck. <laughs> and that, you know, just that alone kind of makes you smile and gets you in a different frame of mind. But event over time though, that didn't, that worked for a while, but then that shtick kind of wore off and then, you know, so things didn't start to maintain. And so, uh, you're kind of, that, that pendulum is probably shifting more to the other way. We're going to bring in a guy like David Ross who might be a little bit tougher. Um, but he's a guy that his teammates loved him. So he's going to be able to relate to the the, the players. Um, but, uh, yeah, how is he going to be with when it, when it needs to be tough and when he needs to have that, hey, you know what? I've been there. Let's go have some fun. Let's not take this too seriously. Manager Ross, your thoughts? I'm going to be a manager that that wants to watch the game and see how it plays out. I don't think that I'll be this guy that bunts all the time or doesn't bunt. I'll be a guy that, you know, walks, walks a guy every time with a base open or sometimes well, I think I'll, I'll play it as I, as I did in a play. When I sat in the, I sat in the seat as a player, you're still managing from a catching standpoint. So watch the game, see how it plays out. I, I think managers that kind of go in with a preset notion sometimes can get in trouble. So I'm going to watch the game, let it come to me, feel my way through it. I'm excited to, to actually figure out what that, what that looks like. Mr. David Ross is now the new manager of the Chicago Cubs. That's 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 kind of weird to think about, actually. I don't know if I'm quite comfortable with it quite yet. On the other side, Joe Girardi of the Phillies. He is the new Phillies manager. Now, I love Joe Girardi. He's always passionate. He definitely sticks up for his players. Whether he's right or wrong, he don't care. He's going to stick up for his guys. And for him, it's this desire of one thing. This team has a history of being successful 
And I'm selfish. I want to win. Yes, that, that would be the goal, especially when your star player is now sitting at home eating a bag of Cheetos watching his former team in the World Series right now going into a Game 5 against one of the best teams in the, in the league itself. So, uh, Eric, thoughts on Joe Girardi getting the new gig at the Philadelphia Phillies? I'm not surprised that he's back managing a team. Um, he had an interesting run with New York. It had some good moments. It had some not great moments. Uh, they eventually decided they wanted to move on. Um, but uh, I, I think that that was probably one name that the Cubs were and Cubs fans were looking at a lot. And so they, the, David Ross and Joe Girardi are going to be side-by-side side compared to each other a lot. Uh, at least from the Chicago lens, is did the, did the Cubs make the right decision? Did they make the right choice? Did they should they have gone with Girardi, who had time in Chicago as a player? So certainly he knows and there's, knows the place. He has an affinity, but um, but in the end, you know who's going to do the better job? Hard to know. But Girardi certainly does have that experience playing in big moments with big staffs, uh, handling big rosters and big-name all-stars. Um, but how it works out in Philadelphia, I don't know. I, I'm happy to see him, though, back managing. Because uh, I, uh, I think he's good for baseball. May not always win games, but I think he's always interesting. <laughs> uh, speaking of great coaches, one continues to have a lot of success, but he's going to never give credit to himself. I've had a lot of good players, a lot of great players, and you know they're the ones that win the games. And uh, I've had a lot of great assistant coaches um, on my staff through um, you know wins at Cleveland and, and certainly here. So um, you know I was a part of those, but you know honestly, the players players win games in this league and. I've been fortunate. I've coached a lot of great ones. Interviews, analysis, and a little bit of fun mixed in. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and Audrey Salveson here on a Monday afternoon, 1028. Your time in a very cold, cold day here in Cache Valley. Currently 31. Your low is going to be 10 tonight. Don't leave it's going to get open. colder. Welcome back to October. It's supposed to get snow tomorrow morning. Yep. Welcome back to October. Well, I guess nearing the end of October, getting ready for November. November 2nd. Uh, I think it might change your plans for what you're going to do for Halloween. How so? Running around in that little swim speedo that you had planned, uh, doing your best impersonation of an Olympic swimmer. No, I was actually... Probably not a smart idea. I was actually going to go naked as a Hershey bar. (laughs) Thoughts? Uh, I don't know. I'm trying not okay. to have thoughts. I, I've <laughs> <laughs> so I got a story for you that you'd like to hear. So about oh, seven. Boy. <laughs> Lord help us all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, for Halloween, this is like what seven years ago. I was roommates with my friend. We were in Providence, and uh, there on Halloween night. He had all this candy, and he went to his parents' house, and he said, AJ, I need to have all this candy gone by the end of the night. That is your goal, and I'm not kidding. And I said, okay. And we thought a lot of trick-or-treaters were going to come by. It's really been this cold sack with a lot of little kids. We had maybe 10, 12 at best. And and Lace Perry, my really, really my closest friend, he, uh, um, he had told me again, he's like, I want this candy gone. So I thought, well, I'm going to go do the world a favor. 
So I went out there and I go to this park at night and there's some kid, like little kids in costumes, right? And they're going to go to the next house. I say, hey, kids, come over and get some candy. <laughs> that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> no. And so they're like, okay. So there's like five kids that they just, I mean, take a dead sprint over to me. One was dressed in a Ninja Turtle suit. A uh, gal was dressed like a princess. You had a kid who was a, a ninja fighter. And you had another kid who was Spider-Man. So all these little kids, and they all take a dead sprint over to this stranger, which is me. Dressed in a black hoodie and shorts. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you see the dad. What are you doing, kids? I was like, oh, hey, dad. I'm just giving away free candy. Uh, in a park, wearing dark clothes. <laughs> At night, on Halloween. Had it not been Halloween, that would have been even more <laughs> freaky. Oh, man. Hey, speaking of freaky, no one has a better costume in the NFL right now than the defense of the Patriots themselves, who have nicknamed themselves the Boogeymen. And for good reason why. Again, they do it. This uh, this squad has been absolutely unbelievable in the first six, seven weeks of the NFL season, Eric. Okay, so a week ago, we got you pretty animated. You owe me apologize. Uh, no. I don't, yes, you I don't. do! I don't owe you an apologize. I don't even know what that means. It's an apology. It's when you say sorry. But um, I was critical of the Patriots saying, yes, they look good, but they haven't really played against anybody good. With the lone exception of the Buffalo Bills, who at the time only had the one loss. And so I, I thought, okay, they look great, but look at the records of everybody they face. They're all garbage. The Browns aren't really that great either, but I will concede what the, the New England Patriots are doing with their defense is pretty amazing. Uh, they are dominant, just flat-out dominant. You mean because of plays like this? Mayfield from the gun takes the snap, hands it off to Chubb, runs it to the right, nowhere to go. He is Ball. swallowed Ball's up and the ball is loose. Go. Picked up by the Patriots on the run. Down the left sideline of the end zone. Dante Hightower. Touchdown, Patriots. By the way, that was a second of three straight turnovers on three straight possessions of three straight plays by the Browns. Welcome back, Cleveland. How do you do? Yeah, they, they look good. I mean, the they still, now that they've gone through the Browns, the next stretch here of games that they're going to have, it's a much stiffer test for New England. Uh, they're going to go up against teams with better records, with better offenses and better defenses. But, I mean, the, the, starting with the Ravens, uh, they're good on both sides. The Eagles, who knows, every week it's something different. The Cowboys, uh, they started off strong and then they wavered. They're on a bye week this week. Interesting to see how they come back. The Texans, the Chiefs, all of those I would consider to be really, at a, at not necessarily great teams, but they're all good teams. And so if the if the Patriots continue what they've been doing, which has been pretty fantastic, if they can continue doing that through that stretch, then my goodness, yeah, this is at a they're playing at a level that we haven't seen in a very, very long time, if not ever. I mean, it's a great start for New England, what their defense is doing, but they're also doing it against some pretty bad teams. Man. Do you and like Max Kellerman like to hang out and have a club soda on the rocks and just find ways to bash Patriots even when they keep winning games? 
I didn't bash the Patriots. You did. I you didn't did. say that they were Again, bad. you continue to like deny the fact that, that they're stink. one of the best. I said they are. In a subtle way, you did. I said they're. Because they're, they're not playing good their football Their defense teams. has been really, really good. It's been outstanding. But oh, but then you have to put the disclaimer on. Well, but they're playing bad football teams, disclaimer. even though they're still NFL professional football players, and they're doing it consistently every single week. You continue to say every week only, that well, they're still the not playing good football beat, teams. The only team they beat with a winning record were the Bills. That's not their fault. No, they're still they, NFL football teams. They but st- in that game against a record. winning football team, they won oh, that game gosh. by sixteen to ten. So they're beating bad teams, which a good team should do. Oh. Which a good team should do. And they're a good team. Juju, what are you guys doing? I don't know what the heck that was. <laughs> I don't know, Juju. <laughs> they're a good football team, and their defense is playing More outstanding. Defense. I will definitely say that. Uh, in more meaningful sides, and you probably think he sucks too, and that's understandable. Coach Belichick wins 300 games and uh, now trails Don Shula by a lot, but he trails Don Shula. But nonetheless, when the face of your franchise, that being Tom Brady, which you probably think he still sucks as well, he has some thoughts on the greatest coach of all time. Pretty amazing. 300 wins is uh, pretty spectacular. He's, uh, you know, best coach of all time, and it's a privilege to play for him. For as many years as I have, he's taught me uh, so much. He's had a big influence on me, and, uh, you know, he's, he's taught me about pro football. He's taught me about um, leadership and consistency, dependability, all the things that I think he really preaches to us as a player is what we get out of him as a coach. What makes him great is that he doesn't go out to dinner with Tom. Like, you talked about Ross needing to be a manager and not a player's guy. That's what makes Belichick great. I remember when he cut Lawyer Malloy, the captain of the defense. He cut him after they'd won the Super Bowl and and, and, and shipped him off. And, and the whole entire Patriots world hated this guy more than they've ever hated him in their lives. Ever. They hated him at that point. And they realized that they got Ronnie Harrison later on and that there was a plan to it all. And that's, for a coach, it's always been about having great players. I've had a lot of good players, a lot of great players. And, you know, they're the ones that win the games. And uh, I've had a lot of great assistant coaches um, on my staff through, um, you know, the wins at Cleveland and, and certainly here. So, um you know, I was a part of those, but you know, honestly, the players players win games in this league, and you know, I've been fortunate. I've coached a lot of great ones. And here's the thing, though: now they have to get ready for the Baltimore Ravens, who, in Eric's mind, is a much, much better football team than the New England Patriots. It's always good to win. Um, you know, it's good to beat Cleveland. It's good to beat anybody. It's a tough league to win in. So, um, you know, proud of what the guys did. Proud of what this team accomplished today. And you know, but we got bigger goals ahead, and um, we know the Ravens are going to be tough next week. They don't care about this game or what I did or what anybody else did. So, you know, we're going to have to turn the page quickly and, and move on to Baltimore. And Baltimore it is for the New England Patriots who are now 8-0. and They're halfway through the year. It is the, Eric, fourth time they've been undefeated this far into the season. Wow. It's an incredible franchise that knows how to win. Uh, they do a great job of reinventing their offense and reinventing their defense. It's not like they change a lot and all of a sudden one year it's power run and next year yeah. it's spread but finding the right pieces and adjusting with who they have they've always done a great job with that they've always taken kind of a what i'd say a dispassionate approach to who they have um and like look we we need to be better you may be a fan favorite but 
we need to make a change and go, we, we like what this person over here is doing. We're going to elevate them. You may get moved. Um, it's, but you know what? If you, if you do the right things and you stay around and you do what we ask you to do, you're going to win games and you're going to go to Super Bowls. That's, that's how New England goes. Other scores from yesterday, Vikings trounced the Redskins, who now fall to 1-7 and seven now overall. They beat them 19-9. Uh, Eagles, who can nobody can figure out, not even their own fans, beat the Bills, by the way, 31-13. Uh, the Chargers, what a wild game this was. 17-16 winners over the Chicago Bears because their coach decided to take a knee instead of trying to run it further and get closer in the field goal range, takes a knee, has his kicker go from there, and botches the kick. Eric? What the heck? Special teams issues for the Bears has been crazy in the last three years. It, yes. There have been numerous occasions where they uh, they just don't do the right little things in special teams to get themselves wins when they shouldn't be able to get wins. <laughs> and this was another case. I mean, come on. It's all, it, well, is it that hard? <laughs> well, ask the Bears and they can answer that for you. We're going to get to our uh, one of these games here in just a little bit because something very special happened. A guy that all of us local fans have fell in love with. Lions beat the Giants 31-26. Uh, Titans over the Buccaneers 27-23. Ryan Tannehill had a great, great day uh, and, uh, as a sub for Marcus Mariota. Thank Aren't you me. glad? Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw him on Sunday morning and I thought, oh, I don't have a quarterback. So I needed to pick him, and I dropped Mariota for running Tannehill, and that's what gets me the win. Colts over the Broncos. Uh, Jacoby Brissett has been really good in just managing this team just to go get wins. He's not going to be your playmaker of any sort. He is just going to be a game manager to get you a win. That's all you want out of him. Hey, look, I have to hand it a lot to what's going on with the Colts. I mean, oh, man. right Me before too. the season begins, right hands up. Your star you. quarterback yep. says, "I'm done." <laughs> like you, you've had him in preseason. Uh, you've been working out with him. He's your guy. Uh, he's a good character guy. You know, people. There's no real reasons to not like Andrew Luck. And then, like, right before the season, he says, "You know what? I think I'm done with this game," <laughs> and he just quits. And so everyone's like, oh, what do we do? This could be catastrophic for the Colts. But no, here they are. They're 5-2. and two. They're leading their division. They're one of the better teams in the AFC. By the way, Brady, Brissett, Garoppolo, 21-2 and two right now overall. Yeah, incredible. What do all three of those guys have in common? They play for the Patriots. Yeah, the Niners are still undefeated. Rams over the Bengals, 24-10. Bengals fall to 0-8. They join the Dolphins as the only team that yet still get a win. Dolphins will play tonight versus the Steelers. Are you sure your Steelers defense isn't going to get the 36 points they need to beat you in fantasy? <laughs> that not. Dolphins offense that, that's is pretty big, bad. That's a big mountain to climb for ask of your defense. <laughs> Saints approved to 7-1, 31-9 winners over the Cardinals. Jaguars 29-15 over the Jets. Jets fall to 1-6, 49ers. 51 to 13. And there were national media people picking the uh, Panthers to win that game. Shame on you. 49ers and the Patriots are the lone undefeated teams. Yeah, I don't think many people thought the Niners would be the the other undefeated team. I think a lot of people saw what the the New England had coming back, who was in their division, the schedule that they had. I don't know if everybody was thinking they'd be undefeated at this point, but you knew that they were going to have a good. Good start to the season with who they had to play. 
I don't think very many people at all saw San Francisco as being that team that would be undefeated like this. Maybe some people were thinking the Rams, um, you know, maybe uh, the Saints, a few, maybe another team here or there, or Green Bay, and they've had good seasons too. But I don't think anybody saw San Francisco. Wow. 27-24 Texans over the Raiders. Texans go to 5-3. And, and the Chiefs lose in a heartbreaker to 31-24 to the 7-1 Packers. Now, going back to a game that was played earlier on Sunday morning, Seahawks, 27-20 winners over the Falcons. But it was more the local story that we loved about this win, Eric. Oh, yeah. Bobby Wagner, certainly he's uh, big in our hearts. We love Bobby Wagner, the Absolutely. former Aggie. And uh, he's been he's had a great career in Seattle, and they love him there. He's been there a long time. He's won Super Bowls. He's been to other Super Bowls that he hasn't won, but he's stuck around even though other players have left. And on Sunday, he became the all-time leading tackler in Seattle. How cool is that? 985. It was uh, he recorded his 985th tackle of his career, all-time leading tackler. Um, he, um, he had six tackles. One of those was a tackle for loss. He had a pass defended. He had a fumble recovery and played in all 80 of the team's defensive snaps and even played on special teams as well. So Bobby Wagner, uh, he has been, uh, there's been times where he has been the definitive best linebacker in the NFL. I think he's still up there in the discussion but uh, Bobby Wagner's had a great career in the NFL and with the Seattle Seahawks and becomes the all-time leading uh, tackler on Sunday. Yeah, if it weren't for one guy named by the name of Kyle Van Noy, Bobby Wagner would be the best linebacker <laughs> athletically in the oh, league. You're not going Kyle there. Van Noy continues to hold that mantle and hold it with a very strong grip. All right, we're going to take a break. Coming back, we're going to get to some NBA. Utah Jazz. So that's what it looks like when their offense can make shots. Okay, we'll talk about we'll uh, talk about what we mean here on the Full Court Press. Eric Franson, Aj Salves, one hundred six nine FM, thirteen ninety AM. It's the Full Court Press weekday afternoons from four to six on Sports Talk Radio, one hundred six nine FM, thirteen ninety AM. The Fan. Hey, don't forget the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters are coming to Cash Valley on Friday night, November 8th, and the fan has a chance for your son or daughter to be an honorary, honorary junior Globetrotter ball kid. They'll watch the game from the Globetrotter bench, get free tickets and autographs for the whole family, plus a Globetrotters t-shirt. Uh, and commemorative basketball as well. Sign up at 1069thefan.com. That's 1069thefan.com. Tickets available at ticketweb.com. 1069thefan listeners can save $5 by using the promo code SAVE5. That's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to... Uh, Are you going? I'm going to take my boys. Uh, they're all excited. Uh, it's coming up, not this Friday, but next. So, yeah, I, I, I get on that. Save five bucks when you buy your tickets. <clears throat> and if you have a little one that wants to be a ball boy or a ball girl, uh, we're going to try to help make that happen. By the so. way, they don't even announce where the location is for this. Ridgeline High School, yes. is that right? Yeah, Ridgeline High School. Go. Be a part of the festivities and hope they're fun. They'll be fun. You'll love it. Uh, I'm uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a huge fan of the Glow Charters. I actually went to a couple of events when I was in Salt Lake, and they're, they're awesome. They're so fun, and they're so entertaining. 
Uh, even adults get into it. They they do a great job with their show. Yeah, they get the crowd involved. They get uh, it's interactive. Uh, they do some crazy stunts. So they usually have a couple guys mic'd. Crazy, crazy stunts, kids. Yeah, it's fun. Don't try them at home. Utah Jazz on a Saturday night get a dominating win over the Sacramento Kings. Final score, 113-81 from Vivint Smart Home Arena. Uh, the offense looked like the offense everybody expected to see when they first saw this team come together. Uh, led by Bogdanovich, who was 10 of 18 from the field, 5 of 9 from deep. He had 26 points. He was a plus 32. In fact, every starter, Eric, was a plus in the category. Royce O'Neal, he's a starter. He had 7 points. Uh, Rudy Gobert. Had six points, five, excuse me, six rebounds, and two assists. Mike Conley at 12 points, 5'11 from the field. Good to see Mike Conley make a few shots. He also had eight assists and three rebounds. Donovan Mitchell, 15 points, 6 9 from the field, 33 from deep. Uh, Eric, when this, this Jazz team, you know, when they're offensively clicking, they're going to be hard to beat. It's just getting them to offensively click. Yeah, that was. I think the the game against the Kings was the best offensive performance we've seen out of the Jets. Oh, by far. No question. By far. But in the preseason, the big concern was the defense. The defense, win or lose so far this year, the defense has been really pretty good. Um, And uh, even the Laker game, when the Lakers beat the Jazz, they struggled to really get much going offensively. So uh, the, the, the Jazz defense has been improving. We just... We kind of got the sense that it just would take a little bit of time for things to click for the Jazz. It did against the Kings Saturday night. Um, I think it'll need to continue to click uh, tonight against the Suns. That sounds weird to say, but the Phoenix Suns, they've had a great start to the season themselves. But um, before we get too much into that game tonight, I think uh, it was a big statement game for Boyan Bogdanovich. Yes. uh, That he... He missed not going to the Laker game. They held him back because of his ankle. Um, curious to know how much of a difference that would have made had he been there and been healthy. And certainly having Mike Connolly finally make some shots, that helps that, too. Yeah, when he's not going 1-24 of 24 from the field in two games, it definitely yes. helps. Hey, what's your thoughts on Joe Ingles coming off the bench? Um, I I don't mind it. I think he brings that uh, an, an attitude uh, and he can initiate offense if necessary. Uh, is a stabilizing force uh, for the team offensively and defensively. So I, I think it's an interesting move. I'm okay with it. Joe had uh, eight points, two of five from deep, two of five from the field. He also had four rebounds and three assists, three steals. That's the other thing is, look, we look at the points because that's what matters on the scoreboard, but Joe all around was probably the best player on the whole entire court at all times. When you look at the what he did overall and his whole body of work, uh, he was he was great, uh, being active and involved in a lot of different things. Because there's been there have been a few games here and there. Um, he didn't really do much in, in L.A., um, but uh, I think it's just I, I don't think any Jazz fan should be hitting any panic button yet. They shouldn't be pulling out any hair. It's still pretty. It's still very early in the uh, regular season. And it's going to take a little bit of time for everybody to understand their roles and how they mesh together, what their personalities are. Even though they've been practicing together for a month now uh, and playing games in the preseason and a few already in the regular season, uh, it's going to take a little bit of time. But they'll get there. Uh, Phoenix or Sacramento, not that great. I mean, they've got some young talent, but uh, the Jazz made them look silly. 
A team that they're going to have a little bit more difficult time with tonight is, guess who? Yeah, the Phoenix Suns. Now, the Jazz made season-high 18 three-pointers and tied a franchise record with 13 in the first half. In Phoenix, the Suns made 17 threes and tied a franchise non-overtime record with 43 attempts. They beat the Los Angeles Clippers, yes, those L.A. Clippers, 130-122. to This could be a high-scoring game tonight as long as Ricky Rubio doesn't shoot. <laughs> yeah, um, but look, this is a Phoenix Suns team that took Denver, who some people say is going to win the West, took them to overtime, had their chances to win, uh, and that game was in Denver. So this is, uh, this is a team that's tied with the Clippers right now on top of the Pacific Division. Granted, I know it's only a few games in, but this is a team that looks like they are no longer satisfied with being the doormat yeah. of the Western Conference. Uh, Booker looks better. He looks like he's matured. He's uh, doing better with getting his teammates involved, not just being a black hole whenever the ball goes to him. And I think having a steadying force like rookie Rubio, I think that makes a big difference. They got DeAndre Ayton. They've got some really good pieces there, and I still like their coach um, to see uh, how that works out. And you're going to actually get one of the most highly anticipated uh, matchups in the middle of Rudy Gobert and Aaron Baines. This should be a thriller for everybody. <laughs> Good old Aaron Baines, man. He's got so many fans locked down, it's ridiculous. Him and Brian Scalabrini, I don't get it. <laughs> I absolutely don't get it. Now, looking at the, uh, just, I mean, we're looking extremely early into this, but, you know, the Clippers right now, they're 2-1, and one, but they had that dominating win over the Lakers and then throttled the Warriors, who were figuring out are having more issues than just, you know, a couple, one player leaving and one player being out. Sorry, I don't mean to distract. I just I forgot the DeAndre Ayton suspended. He's suspended for, yeah, for 25, 25 games. games. Yeah. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that's why you got Kaminsky and Aaron Baines playing for him right now. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and on the other side, you know, really quickly, this Lakers team could be really good when they want to. I feel like Dwight Howard, he had that, you know, he had that breakout game uh, in, I think, in the second one. I think it was the win over Charlotte. But I still feel like Dwight Howard holds this team back. I don't know if he's like what they saw in him. And they're like, yeah, let's bring him in. He'll he'll help us. I still don't know what it is. But his role is is minor, and anything he does above that is gravy for the <laughs> Lakers. And I think he wanted to go out and prove something that his time before was kind of a fluke. Um. He was a forgotten commodity in the NBA. I forgot he was even still in the league. I know. Isn't that crazy? I thought he'd retired. Isn't or he had cra- a career-ending er- injury. I had totally forgotten about him. But um, I think he wants to prove everybody wrong that he can still play. He still has stupid antics. I mean, when he went to the ground with, who was it, uh, against the Jazz? Oh, it's George Yang. With Yang. Yeah, I mean, he's laying on top of him. He's putting hands in places he shouldn't. And then acting like he's the victim. Yeah, he's still the same old. Not I'm just very telling you, he's going to hold but. that team back from winning a championship or even being in the NBA Finals. Just mark it now. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. Come back, we'll wrap up the first hour. We'll get you ready for the second hour. And it is all football talk. It is a lot of Aggie talk, whether you like it or not. Listen, you suffered on Saturday night. We're going to try and be your therapist to help you through on a Monday afternoon. You had the great KVNU postgame, but we're going to try and walk you through it and get you ready for a team down south who, uh, I don't know, 
Give me something that's meaningful to them. The Tabernacle Boys. I don't know. Okay, that came out wrong. <laughs> I don't really know where you're going with that. It doesn't matter who you root for. The Full Court Press has all the high school sports covered. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. All right, we'll be back for the second hour. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. October is arguably the greatest month in sports. All four major pro sports are going on, college football in full swing, college basketball not far away, and it's a great test of where the nation's sports interests lie. We know football ratings are going to be great. Baseball is doing its best to keep the World Series on everybody's radar, but it's an ever-changing entertainment landscape. This weekend was theoretically as good as it gets, but I was struck at how overwhelming all the choices were. Ten different games to watch. It can be overwhelming. And then there's the non-sports. What if you're binge-watching on Netflix or you're tempted to go to that after a pitching change in the World Series? And I don't mean to complain. All the options are great. It's a golden age in many ways. It's just different from how I grew up watching sports and will likely change even more in the coming years as technology and taste continue to evolve in the world of sports and entertainment. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. 